everyone. Welcome to Chapter Surfing, the podcast where uh, I, your host, Lenny Burnham, uh, talk about TV shows and the books that they're based on. Uh, this month, we're talking about Friday Night Lights, which is inspired by the book also called Friday Night Lights by H.G. Bissinger. And my guest is Steve Fiorillo from the In the Mix pod. Hey, hey how's it going? I'm good. Uh, so, Steve, uh, let's talk a little bit about the timeline of your Friday Night Lights consumption. Uh, did you watch the show basically as it was airing? Uh, I I caught up in time for season five, the final season, I believe. So in like 2010, I like just binged through the first four seasons, which is very easy because once you like this show, it is just like it's I feel like a very full love and you just kind of want to stick around for it and got done in time for season five. And so like a lot of my association with the show is like finding like the common dorm TV that had the, the only one that had the direct TV channel that actually fucking aired Friday night lights at that time. So yeah, been like a decade or so. And then I have not seen the movie and had not read the book until you asked me to. Cool. Um, yeah, that's pretty close to when I watched it. I never caught any of it live, but I think I was watching it pretty close to when it was airing. Cause I remember I started season one long enough ago that I watched like the Netflix DVDs that came in the mail. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so you never watched the movie and then now here you are reading the book and am I correct that this is one of the first books you've read in years? Yeah, fine. I would, I would agree. <laughs> I, I would agree. I'm not the most voracious book reader and my friends have this belief of me that I in fact hate books and people <laughs> who read them, which is something I've uh, really kind of let them do mostly because I had a lot of friends do a book club, like start a book club that would do one Friday a month. And so it always coincide with me asking a few of the people I consistently hung out with to hang out and they had book clubs. So I just, once really offhandedly said, okay, have fun at nerd club. And, <laughs> yeah. and enough of them got legitimately upset that I've never fully let it go. <laughs> but I have nothing against books. I just have truly no attention span. You know, I think, uh, I think your bit of hating books on the people who read one, who read them is a good one. I think if you've logged on to Twitter, even once it's fair to just immediately hate everyone who's read a book. Yeah. Yeah. It's, this is not something I ever would have felt like I was vindicated for. And yet here we, we are with some slight vindication. Yeah. The, on, uh, the only reason I bring it up is because I don't think I've had a guest yet with the, the perspective of it being like, uh, you haven't read a book in a while. So there's pressure on this book to, uh, to represent the entire format of books. Yeah. Yeah. This and this alone got me in like a, an audible trial. So wow. this is, this is itself a big step, but I, I had fairly high hopes just cause when I, you know, as a teenager, I did like sports books. I liked kind of like learning up about sports history and all that kind of stuff. And I figured I would enjoy this just because I got so sucked into Friday night lights that it was hard to imagine not being sucked into some kind of variation on it. Had you um, known anything about this author previously? Cause I think he's a pretty successful sports writer yeah buzz bissinger um i was a little bit aware of him i feel like 
I feel like the one real exposure I had was back when like Michael Schur and Alan Yang ran Fire Joe Morgan under their aliases, which was just a sports blog where they would make fun of like old timey sports writers who, you know, wrote off anything that had to do with new stats. And I believe they were making fun of Buzz Bissinger <laughs> at some point. Otherwise, it's just been a name that's kind of once you hear Buzz Bissinger, it's kind of hard to kind of unwrench from your craw. <laughs> that's fair. Um, had you ever before uh, before watching Friday Night Lights um, encountered this sort of culture at all? Because I know for me um, at my high school, like football was not a big deal. The only thing the only game that had even like slight attendance was like the homecoming game. And other than that, like no one really there was never like a crowd at the games. No football culture to speak of. I went <laughs> to high school in suburban New Jersey and not one of the suburbs where it's like there's the private schools that kind of manufacture uh, NFL players that go to Penn State. Uh, it's just like it was one of those things where everyone knew the high school team was bad, but it wasn't even like you would take that as an insult. You'd just be like, yeah, no, they're they're not good at football. So I never went to a game, never went to a homecoming game or dance or anything, which is all entirely unrelated. But yeah, truly no football culture. I think I think from that area you get you know, you're kind of instilled in NFL fandom. So like even college stuff was pretty foreign to me. So no, no high school football culture. So when you started watching Friday Night Lights, it sounds like uh, it pretty much just like immediately sucked you in, right? Yeah, I think that pilot, which I watched recently, not for this, I was just I thought I was going to do a Friday Night Lights rewatch and made it like six episodes before I just got busy. But that pilot is as good as it as it ever was. Uh, I think just like the, the cinematography, the acting, just everything. So yeah, very quickly sucked in. I think it does a great job of kind of establishing this town that I have like never sort of encountered in my actual life, but I'm like very interested in, in a way that uh, not to spoil too much, I was not for the real life Odessa, Texas. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think it really, uh, it really sucks you in and makes this world uh, really interesting in a way that I think like a lot of high school dramas I feel like they just don't take the extracurriculars seriously. Even if that's like the focus of the show, like Glee or something, I feel like you just don't see the people really like working for things. I feel like a lot of teen dramas will just like have an episode where someone's suddenly like, oh, I wasn't good enough to get a football scholarship. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I've like never heard you say anything about working towards that. And um, so I, I felt like Friday Night Lights was really refreshing with just how much it really um cares and like gets into the stakes of all this high school extracurricular stuff yeah and i mean glee treated that shit essentially like a cartoon <laughs> yeah where where it's like here you can kind of build up you can find realistic stakes of like you know this means so much like in glee you're you're truly just you know you're forced to rely on like some pervert teacher explaining to you that Glee Club means more than life itself. But you really do get the sense here that like football is everything to the extent that I would honestly say that I feel like the TV, like the fictional town of Dylan and the characters within it are more felt more like accurately real people than in Odessa, Texas, maybe just because Buzz Bissinger wasn't able to kind of like actually get deep into their personal lives, presumably not for you know lack of trying yeah, I I see what you mean, but I almost felt like there's an extent to which like the 
like you almost have to make people like unrealistically well-rounded and complex for them to be good television characters. Like there were, there were parts of the book where a football player would be like, Oh yeah, I go to school and I don't really like class or whatever. And I'm just, and it would just like take me back to high school and I'd be like, Oh yeah. Like high school boys aren't very interesting. That's yeah. They really, I mean, I would agree with that. They really, it, they aren't. And yeah, you do have to make these like actually, that's the thing. There's fairly thin, paper thin character traits for the book characters, which might just have to do with the fact that, you know, as the book says, football is all these people have and think about and talk about. Uh, so there isn't anything, but I don't know, just the the opening episode, you get to like meet Matt Saracen and Landry, and it feels like two such specific people you could know. You see like Tim Riggins and Billy Riggins, and it feels like just a very real dynamic but yeah i think you know you can only you get to kind of create those people from whole cloth as opposed to you know if say you read the book and don billingsley starts you know blaming his lack of playing time on black players that's (laughs) that's about all you get to know from him yeah um yeah it's very different and yeah friday night lights is so character driven and makes all these characters so interesting and i think i felt like the book was like much more like sort of like sociological like looking at like the larger sort of phenomenons in the town then rather than like actually getting into anyone's head yeah it's it's like a case study and i feel like you know i have some issues with the book i do think it's you know a fairly compelling read just considering what it's chronicling i also found it a massive bummer which kind of makes it kind of like almost a necessary flip side to the tv show because that's the thing. The TV show, you know, really can suck you into the world of football and make you feel like this is so huge and important and breathtaking. And the book wants to do that. But the fact that it is showing like real world stuff just kind of makes you feel mired down in the depressing elements of that, which is kind of necessary if you want like an honest aspect of of this bizarre high school football culture. Yeah, there's there's super different vibes. And um, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like when I look at the show on its own, I like feel like it does a lot of that, like capturing sort of the hopelessness, especially obviously with Tim Riggins and sort of how like there's all this glory around high school football and then they graduate and that's kind of it. Um, but then when you get into the book and that comparison, you realize like, oh, the the show is like very glossy and romanticized compared to like, when I read the book, I was just literally like, Oh, we shouldn't do this to kids. Like we should completely shut down this institution. Yes. And what's weird is that I feel like Buzz Bissinger is aware of that, but very often is trying to convince you that also this is a town worth falling in love with, Mm -hmm. which kind of, I think the show really benefits from not having that, that perspective anywhere. And they're not like a guy who's kind of coming in from outside and being like, you know, there's something to this town because Buzz Bissinger will be very aware of like, this is a, this can be a very hopeless, desolate town, but there's some sort of beauty in the Friday night lights that, you know, no other city could even dream of. Like, yeah, man, I, I know you just, you just told me a head coach used the N word. So I, like, <laughs> it's very, it, I don't know. It's hard to kind of square those circles in the, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, And this is, a really interesting case because the what happened 
was they made the movie and it was like pretty much exactly what is in the book. Um, it was like a late 80s period piece. And, um, you know, everyone had like the same name. Um, it's definitely like glossed over for Hollywood. Like there's way less racial stuff and everything. But it's basically the same as the book. And then uh, years later, I think basically the same creative team. Is that right? The uh, I Yeah, Peter Berg directed the movie and then helped make the show. Yeah. Um, so then years later, they made this show where it's literally the credit is inspired by the book because it is so different. Um, yeah. And it's an interesting thing that happened is uh, Connie Britton played uh, Sharon Gaines, the coach's wife, who has like two sentences in the book uh, and a similarly small part in the movie. Um, and when they asked her to do the show, she was like, yeah, I'll only do it if you make the character not terrible, um, which I find I think it's very fun that like she said that and then they were like, oh, OK. And then she really is like one of the best TV characters ever. I was like, oh, can you just like tell writers to not make a character shitty? Yeah, you would really anticipate that story ends with and then they hired someone else to play <laughs> a character with one line an episode. Yeah, yeah um, I think honestly, the smartest thing the show did was just be loosely inspired and take place in present time. There's a, there's a quote in the afterward where one of the guys is like, Odessa in the eighties was basically the forties. So now you get to Odessa in the two thousands. It's kind of like the eighties. <laughs> yeah. I think like you're not going to be able to avoid the, just a crushing, you know, racism, personal and institutional in the town. But the fact that it is not like the eighties where the, it's this just insanely backward, town where everyone is just spewing racial slurs goes it's just the slightest little twist that goes such a long way yeah like in the book there's a very long portion explaining how like they very very recently desegregated the schools despite the laws they had just kind of been ignoring the laws for a long time yeah because that's it it's it's all building up to the whole thing of like this culture is essentially poisonous it takes vulnerable young children spits them out uses their bodies and then kind of leaves them out to dry once they're no longer useful to them and that's again necessary but man do do you not enjoy hearing the audiobook uh of a guy explaining this to you also didn't enjoy a lot of listening to the audiobook in this like 50 something 60 something white man having to do black teen voices i guess not having to do <laughs> yeah that sounds absolutely awful yeah it's a big swing which i don't respect <laughs> there's no there's nothing but yeah it's i don't know i'm trying to like recall characters from the book and i guess because it's more of a sociological case study you don't really get much out of that stuff i mean if anything you get one 30 year old man's perspective on these hard partying teenagers yeah something i found really surprising is that coach Gaines is like a really unimportant character there's only there's very sparing parts about coach Gaines, which is so interesting because obviously coach taylor is like the heart of the show which you would just like expect that like the coach would be a big deal yeah, not just not that un that important, but not very likable either. Like not a not not someone. It took a very long time for me to realize Coach Taylor was supposed to be kind of inspired <laughs> by 
this guy because there's a lot of like he lets his assistant coaches just say the fucking nastiest things about his black students. He later on only sticks out his neck for his quarterback when trying to get them to college. Like apparently like, you know, one of the linebackers, Brian Travis goes to Har- like gets into Harvard, but like Gary Gaines strip sends them the wrong tape for football stuff. Just yeah. absolutely drops the ball on anyone who isn't his quarterback. And then in maybe chapter 11 or 12, Buzz Bissinger starts comparing him to the coach before him being like, you know, Gaines, meanwhile, was, you know, more soft spoken, more like more of like a, a like a more of a team leader, like just a lot of certain descriptors. And you kind of realize, no, no, no <laughs> fucking way. This guy's supposed to be Coach Taylor. You cannot pull that on me now. Yeah, it's very weird. The story about him just like straight up sending the wrong tape to Harvard for that Chavez kid is so weird and upsetting. And it, it like shines a poor light on him, um, him working really hard for the kid, I think Winchell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because uh, it just shows like how far he'll go for someone else while completely neglecting Chavez, who was clearly like a star player. Yeah. No one else got even a fraction of, that and Winchell's another character who's kind of important because a lot of those traits become Matt Saracen, mm-hmm. who is significantly better uh, and m- maybe my favorite character ever. Just like a just a, po- a poor boy that needs a hug all the time. <laughs> yeah, they def- they took like Winchell stepping up after someone else was injured, right? Or is no? There's someone. There's actually someone else who substitutes for Booby, which is the most memorable name in this book. Yeah, uh, Comer. Oh yeah, Comer. So I feel like they kind of combined Comer's backstory of like going in just because someone was injured with like Winchell um, living with his like poor grandmother and being sort of someone the coach was really trying to help. Yeah, it kind of made me like the way it's done in the show. I think is much better, at least in setting up that story just because the way Gaines's relationship with Winchell is, even though, you know, Winchell has his sob story kind of sounds like just what coach was going through with Jason street. Just like, you know, your star quarterback's a good old boy and you don't have to worry about anything else as long as you've got him. And then Jason street, of course gets paralyzed in the first episode. And suddenly you have to go to Matt Saracen, who is like, a poor kid who's taking care of his senile grandma. His dad's in Iraq and is a shithead when he's home, like just so much. And it kind of forces coach Taylor to have to kind of think outside of the, that weird insular Texas high school football bubble in a way that no one does in the book. Even the people who acknowledge it's a weird insular bubble. Yeah, that's true. And I think the, sort of character getting injured backstory storyline is definitely less interesting in the book because it's basically like Chris Comer plays well the first time and they're all just like, Oh great. Like problem solved. And that, that sort of through line with uh booby, the kid who gets injured, I did think was one of the more compelling parts of the book. And um, it's interesting it, what I what I found so interesting about it was that, um, like, Jason Street obviously gets fully fucking paralyzed from the neck down. And Booby just, like, has kind of, like, an injury in his ankle that makes him not as fast anymore. Um, but it still, like, fucking ruins his life. And I think there's something, like, very brutal about that, about it just being like, 
oh, now you're a good football player, but not as fast. And everyone in this fucking town is now just like, well, then we don't want to deal with you. Yeah, it's it's especially brutal, especially when it gets into how these assistant coaches were already just dying to get this kid off of the like off of their team for the you know audacity to be a black kid with any confidence in himself. Uh, like just there was no one on his side except his uncle and that that becomes its own fucking sob story in that in there. But yeah, that's the other thing that really sheds a, an awful light on Coach Gaines is the way these assistant coaches talk about Booby and any other black kid, which also uh, is incre- like is incredibly poor of um, Buzz Bissinger, who straight up says, oh, yeah, an assistant coach called Booby the N-word in, the, in a meeting and then won't tell you who it was. And then 25 years later and afterward was like, oh, yeah, sorry, it was this guy. Uh, can't do anything about it now. Yeah, that uh, is a good point. I didn't really think about it that much that he doesn't name the assistant coach who did that. But, yeah, you're right. He's a journalist. He could have just named it. Yeah, well, because in those, like, there's a couple different afterwards to this book, and he stays incredibly close with Booby. That's its own weird relationship where he's given Booby a lot of money to help try and get his life together, and it never works. But in the first afterward, where it's just him and Booby, it's like Booby Miles being like, man, it really fucked me up that one of my coaches called me that, and I had no idea who it was. And it turned oh, out wow. to be Baloo, the one who um, was like mentioned more than anyone else. And Buzz Bissinger being like, you know, I kind of like, I kind of liked like it felt weird to like do that and that's again this is it's all reality but jesus christ what a fucking bummer yeah yeah there's definitely stuff in this book where i feel like overall it's definitely like on the right side of things and is obviously like um you know not thinking like segregation is good or anything but um i think you can definitely tell how long ago it was written. Like there's a lot of uh, times when he like throws in the N word, like not in quotes, just like as a vibe, like he'll be like, Oh, to everyone in Odessa, this kid was just uh, and then he'll just like say it. And I'm kind of like, we get the idea, you know, without you throwing it into your narration. Yeah. You don't have to like wait for, you don't have to wait very long for one of the Odessa residents to just say it to you on a microphone with their name in the book. Like they're, they're all pretty goddamn fine with it. And it, it makes it very difficult to cast anything positive about the town because in between Booby and Comer is Dom Billingsley, who seems to be kind of uh, like a brief inspiration for Tim Riggins, who is much better character and much cooler. But Dom Billingsley is like a, you know, his, he's the fullback. His dad was, on the team and he has a lot to live up to, but he can't stop fumbling. He's got, he's got the yips. So they bench him for Comer and Dom Billingsley who fumbled twice and a half. They lost them both and can't get out of his head is convinced that the coaches just like black players more. And it's really hard to like, stop thinking about these things whenever, you know, anything else is said about them, especially, you know, I don't know if you read the 25 year afterward where like Dom Billingsley has his life together and everything. It's like, I still remember that about you it's like i guess i'm glad you're not drinking anymore but man yeah i i feel like they tried to make that a little bit of a thing in the pilot that like tim riggins is jealous of the black players do i have that right but i feel like they kind of backed off of it yeah they tried to do like a weird little joke that i i do i also think doesn't land where you know someone i think a reporter 
you know, reporting montage is asking Smash Williams, like, do you think there's like a a racial thing going on on the team? And then it cuts to Tim Riggins, who's like, I don't care that he's black. I just don't like the guy. Oh, yeah. And, that's, that's very mid 2000s. I feel like everyone yeah. was like, why can't we hate people of color? Is Wouldn't it be yeah. more racist if we didn't hate them? Yeah, the funniest thing you could do in 2006 was use the same I'm not racist, I hate everyone joke you learned from your grandpa 20 <laughs> years before that. And meanwhile, I mean, Tim Riggins, as much as I love that character, I him as a brooding hunk in season one does nothing for me mm. compared to like season four where he's just like a pathetic loser drunk. Yeah, like, that's I, good Tim Riggins. Yeah, I think he is just one of those characters where you have to take away their status a little bit to like them. Um, I think that's a good, a good journey from him being like a handsome football star to just uh, the saddest boy. Yeah. No, I love the Tim Riggins character arc. I also love the Billy Riggins character arc. There's very few character arcs on the show that I didn't really grow to love. Maybe like two. Yeah. And I think the, the Tim Riggins arc uh, does the best job of capturing the thing I found sort of most compelling in the book, um, which was uh, what I found really interesting about this high school is that kids, uh, like little kids from a young age would dream of playing for this high school. And they all knew that like, that would be it. Like they wouldn't go on to play football in college or like NFL or something. They just dreamed of playing high school football Um and I think like that world is something that is really compelling. It is. It's also that there's a depressing element once you know it's real life. Cause like, what do you even do about that? Yeah. Cause like, forget kids. There are like guys on the team that will, that like, no, they're not getting a scholarship to college, but are like, I have to play on this bum ankle so that, you know, I can never walk right again, but we might win the semifinals to get to state. Yeah. Have we talked about Landry yet? Landry is the best boy in the universe. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, that's definitely a character who I don't think has any sort of analog in the book and is just uh, an, an absolutely wonderful addition. Yes. Landry, Landry, I think Matt's my favorite character, but Landry is the one I most enjoy spending time with because he really does, maybe because it, it's a high school show from when I was in high school, but that is just a guy you feel like you know, and it, you can't not root for the guy who's friends with the like the nerdy quarterback and is just trying to, you know, be a nice boy and make his Christian medal. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he does end up playing football, it does still feel like he's like the, I don't want to say audience surrogate because I'm sure people who were jocks still liked this show, but it was sort of them being like, Okay, like we're nerdy TV writers. There has to be one person on this show who's who's like this. Yeah, and he's a he he is a little bit of an outside observer because there's the season one episode where he has to like tutor Tim Riggins, and he hits that point where he's like, "Oh my god, like are you one of those kids who just never learned to read?" And it's asked like very seriously because <laughs> that's another thing is that these kids don't ever have to do homework or worry about their test grades, which happens in the book too. And then very, I was going to say very amusingly, uh, toward the end of the book, it gets to um, the Carter team, which is like an all-black upper middle class school with an incredible football team and Jesse Armstead that gets through this like incredible grade, like inflation scandal, an actual lawsuit. And 
like everyone they talk to in Odessa is furious and pissed on this like kind of technicality of like, you know, you know, how can they still play when they're letting these like this happen to their kids? And it's like, you're absolutely just jealous that you did not think of this system yourself. They continually say that Booby Miles got 80s and 90s when he played football in 50s and 60s when he didn't. He didn't just get 30 points dumber. Yeah. I think the book is able to really capture how extreme it is in a way that the the show couldn't get away with because I feel like if you saw stuff on the show, like what happens at Carter where someone is literally handed an answer key for the test, you would be like, this is like crazy. Like, you know, this is ridiculous, but because you know, the book is real, it's able to be like, no, they were getting handed answer keys with their tests. Yeah. I think that that was, I think probably the most interesting little segment in it when he goes on that tangent about, the effects of passer play. Yeah. Where they just, that's the thing that this, there's really no kid in this town that didn't get failed uh, football or not football because all of the, you know, the academic stuff and the grading has to also revolve around football and making sure they can, they can play in a, you know, just barely legal manner. So no one actually does is actually kind of benefiting from anything that's happening in these oh, schools. Yeah. There's uh, the, the psychological effect of this, uh, this extreme focus on football is clearly bad for everyone. Cause even Chavez, the kid who gets into Harvard um, has this uh, story about how he joined the Harvard football player, the, the Harvard football team and played for like a couple weeks and then was just like, oh, there's like no glory in this, like playing football for Harvard just doesn't compare to the excitement of high school football, which is just so weird that like even uh, even at Harvard to have that feeling of like uh, the peak was high school and you're not going to achieve that again. Yeah, and that like so much of the town revolves around that, that there's no real way to kind of completely dismantle that except for like the predictable eventual ebb of a team not just not being that good anymore which according to the afterward and say like 2014 or whatever uh permian was not a good team anymore people didn't really show up to games as much but that's still like generations of this town just like just ruined by that mentality because if they didn't have football all they had to think about was how like their jobs were just coming and going based on whether oil was, you know, good or not. Yeah. And it's, there's a whole section where they get mad at, um, uh, who was the presidential candidate? It wasn't oh, Dukakis. Yeah. They're, they're all furious at Dukakis because he's mad at them for spending millions on this, uh, uh, like giant scoreboard or, or on this giant stadium. Um, and, uh, uh, it's just so bleak, like hearing them be like, "It, you know, let us spend our millions on football. Like, what else? What else are we going to do with it?" Yeah, it's also, it, it. You can't stop thinking while reading it. Is is like, you know, this is a town where everyone is aware that they are constantly being abandoned. That this is all based on oil. That no one actually gives a shit about them. Also, they love George H.W. Bush more than their own <laughs> children, all of them, giving him this fucking hero's welcome. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's that's the thing. There's a whole 
when you get into the the sociological elements, it's that's the book. Like there's whole elements of just the politics of the town. Yeah, and I think the TV show is a really. Uh, it sort of shows how. Um, I think it's good to take sort of an open-minded approach with adapting material. Um, Cause I can imagine there being a good, like really depressing miniseries about Friday night lights that follows the book really closely that, you know, would be fine um, and would definitely capture the book. But I really like that they took sort of this feeling of the town and just made something kind of completely different. Yeah. And I think, you know, it after like while reading the book, I started feeling a little worried. Like if I watch like clips or episodes of the show, is it going to feel the same now that it's just, I keep reading about the incredibly depressing, bleak thing it's based on. Am I still going to be able to kind of get my head around, you know, how great coach Taylor is and how, you know, everyone's coming together as a team for, you know, a bit like to just everyone coming together and immediately. Yes. It, I still, yeah, it. I think it helped that the clip I watched was episode two, where he coach Taylor brings Matt Saracen out of his grandma's house and is like, I don't know how you do what you do. Like, you should be proud of mm-hmm. it, of everything you do. And that's what kind of like clicked in my head of like, that's what makes this show. That's one of the things that makes this show better is that it kind of, you know, forces uh, coach Taylor a little more out of his comfort zone because even if coach is a good guy he's absolutely entrenched in this bizarre little bubble and if he doesn't kind of learn to kind of ease up and be that that necessary mentor to matt saracen then you know does he actually become a coach Gaines type and not help smash through his like steroid thing and and stuff like that right yeah you can see the all these other people in the town um uh who sort of represent what coach Taylor could become. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, uh, you know, there's, I think valid points to be made about how um, TV is so glossed over and like, doesn't really go there with a lot of things, especially um, like racial things or um, with poverty. Um, At the same time, I feel like, when I imagine something being faithful to the book, I can only imagine it as a miniseries. I can't imagine anyone wanting to spend six years with the character, the people in the book. Yeah. Absolutely. Like obviously shows don't have to have like likable protagonists, but they still have to be someone that you would like to kind of follow through their journey. And that's just not something you would really get out of the, the people in the book. Didn't even seem like it worked that well in the movie, from what I can tell. Yeah, I found when I watched the movie, I felt very sort of emotionally detached. It was just uh, kind of like going through the motions, I guess. And I think uh, what was smart about the show is that um, it doesn't feel like they just took the book and then like ignored the themes and romanticized everything. Instead, it feels like they made it more positive by actually having these characters realize they need to detach from football and, you know, not be this way. Like coach Taylor's happy ending is literally him putting his wife and family above football. Um, So it is still making this point that like, if they were all in that mindset, then that would be, you know, a different situation. 
Yeah, I feel like this is one of the few shows that really did that, like, everyone gets their own happy ending at the end, right? It's not like some Parks and Rec thing. You know, it's it's people actually kind of figuring out what makes them happy, where they are. Because, yeah, Coach Taylor's still coaching football at the end of the series, but he, you know, he follows his wife to Philadelphia. It's not, he's not entrenched in this weird Southern bubble where everyone either loves or hates him. Because there's no, there's never any middle ground with that. Everyone's either like, Coach Taylor, we need to keep you around forever. Coach Taylor, we need to behead you at this exact <laughs> moment and find someone else. And then, you know, you have people who are escaping and you have people who aren't and are still making, you know, making the best of what they can. Because, you know, you, you read the book and you feel like, I just want you all, like anyone I like in this book, to get out of here and just make a better life for yourself. And it, I think in the show, you get to see people who are not necessarily escaping that town, but have kind of learned a lot and have been able to kind of do a better job of finding out who they are. And I, have, of course, referring to to Tim Riggins and just that, that end clip of him and Billy, you know, building a house together and then just drinking a beer. And it might be like the, it might be the nicest moment of all in that end yeah. montage, just these two kind of, you know. Yeah, we're we're doing it. Yeah, I think they did such a good job, especially compared to other teen dramas, of thinking through those endings and deciding, you know, sort of how how successful each character will be, like how their ending will work. Because I think so many so many shows, um, once the characters are seniors, they're just suddenly getting into like absurdly good schools and stuff. And I think part of it is from um, so many TV writers haven't gone to private schools. So they think that's normal. Whereas um, like uh, one kid who wasn't even in my grade got into Harvard the whole time I was in school. And it was like a really big deal for the whole city. And even like just going to any out of state school was considered unusual. Um, so you usually find those, the like over the top, successful happy endings they throw in um on teen dramas i think are usually insane especially because they're usually like not even happy about it it'll be like i didn't get into harvard i have to go to yale now <laughs> like um and i think i think friday night lights uh really did a good job balancing it with like there's some success i think is it does smash become a a pro football player or like a college football player you you hear so he get he gets to do like he gets to walk on in college and then in either season three or four like they do a fun little Easter egg where you know you hear on the TV at the bar that he's like tearing shit up at Texas A and M. Yeah, um, and I think that's like a good amount of like yeah, like some star players will have like really big success, um, but they never they they never overdo it, and I think they really do capture the feeling of sort of hopelessness that a lot of high schoolers have especially obviously with Tim and also I think uh with uh Tyra they do a really good job of that yeah a lot of them are just are either small victories or just like life mm -hmm. Tyra's is just you know I'm gonna go to college like I'm gonna go back to the college I'm already at you know Billy Reagan's is is that he gets to keep coaching uh in high school football which we've established is not really good for you <laughs> but it's a job, it's direction, and Billy Reagan's really grew on me in the way that 
um, everyone says Buddy Garrity grew on them. Billy Riggins grew on me. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah, I like Billy Riggins a lot. And I think that was um, an example of a time when that storyline really worked. Um, whereas I've seen other teen dramas where there's sort of like a, uh, a f- someone who they want to come off as like a failure jock with no other options. And then he just gets like offered a coaching job at the school. And on those shows, I'm always like, that's like a good job. It's weird that this is like the consolation thing. Um, but with uh, with Billy, I think it really works. Yeah. And I mean, the the even though, you know, it's good that the, the characters who don't get out are able to kind of like find some some real peace and still live like a what looks like it can be a fulfilling life. I'm just so happy that Matt Saracen got out. <laughs> yeah. I, I rewatched the season four finale just to kind of reacquaint myself with those storylines. And I feel like Julie and Landry are rightfully pissed that he just left for Chicago and never said goodbye, never gave him a call. But also when he's like, if, if I did, I never would have gotten out. And I'm like, fuck yeah, you wouldn't have. You, sh- you got to hit the bricks, man. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because that, that storyline uh, with him going off to Chicago is kind of something that um, usually happens with like female characters. Like Lila almost gives up going to college, uh, for her boyfriend and uh it's interesting seeing it sort of play the other way with uh saracen being like i gotta get away from this town and unfortunately you know julie as well uh in order to grow yeah the the that arc of matt in season four i really like because one of the complaints i would have is season four and five because they're so so truncated a lot of things just kind of happen and you're like we really could have built up to that more but i really do love matt saracen kind of just having to you know, he, he didn't go to college so he could take care of his grandma. He's trying to make ends meet. He is, he's the flip side of Tim Riggins who, well, not flip side, but he's similar to Tim Riggins. Just kind of, I don't know what to do now that I don't have this anymore. You know, he has to deliver pizza to that little shit, JD McCoy. And then his dad dies and he's just having an absolute breakdown. And he has to, he kind of realizes I have to get out of here. It's, I don't know. I find, I found that stuff incredibly compelling. Yeah, I think uh, it's really well done. And I also think those seasons do a good job with um, sort of suddenly having a lot of new characters, which is also something I think a lot of shows don't do well. But I think um, when they start putting a lot of focus on like um, Vince, uh, they, for the most part, really pull that stuff off. Yes. And I mean, even though this is a, you know, a a particularly good high school show, it does still do a little bit of that classic thing where it's like our high school show got a fourth season okay um you were actually a freshman when it started (laughs) um but yeah i think vince was very well integrated luke i feel like i feel like they did luke dirty in this show if i'm being honest yeah i agree i sort of always had trouble like pinning him down like sort of knowing um just like sort of figuring out like what to think of him and like what his story really is it was not very consistent. And I thought that at the time too, because his character introduction is that he's like, a, he's going to be a fucking superstar player for the Dylan Panthers. But because of zoning, they get to put him on the East Dylan Lions and he's devastated because he's a star player who's going to be on a, in a star school. And this was his chance. And then at the end of the last season, he's like, colleges don't want me, man. There's just guys better. Mm-hmm. And it, like, there's just no real consistency between there. And then he just has to join the army. That, 
uh, I, I feel like they didn't really do much with him, even if Matt Loria did his best with it. Yeah, that that's fair. I'm trying to think of who else was in like the season four and five. There was Jess, uh, Journey Smollett, who I did like, but there is that kind of, oh, that kind of happened real quickly. Like season five, her arc is suddenly that she wants to kind of be a coach. And it's like, well, that's, that's kind of out of nowhere. I feel like you just really wanted an excuse to be able to use this cast member you're paying more. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I feel like it became um, a little too much of like a girl boss story, which I think they usually had avoided pretty well with like Tammy. Um, but it, I thought became like a, a little bit corny with her, like trying to fit in with the boys club. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really talked about Tammy and she is like a truly great character. Her and coach's relationship is the, the true linchpin of this show. I know like people on the legacy of the show now can become kind of like, is this kind of Twitter discourse stuff, but people talking about how just perfect coach and Tammy are. I like that. That's really not the case that yeah. they're actually all, constantly in conflict they're just good at mediating it yeah i was really surprised um last time i rewatched the finale i kind of forget like what a jerk Kaler was uh because like you just remember how great the ending is and how nice it is that he you know was putting things aside for her and then when i rewatched it i was like oh yeah they like really earned that <laughs> yeah that's the thing coach is not a perfect guy he has to like kind of come to these decisions that's what's that's what's so good about him and what's good about tammy is that she goes through a lot of that too she's very strong she's as strong willed as, as he is though that what well, season four ends a little bit neatly for her even though it's a really great arc her kind of helping becky get an abortion in the fallout oh, that yeah, comes that's a really good storyline through and that. i think uh i think people watching it now on Netflix or whatever might not realize uh, like what a big deal that storyline was, but um, just like having a character get an abortion really had not happened in like 10 years, at least yeah. not, not on like, no, I, don't, I guess this wasn't network TV at that point, but it, it wasn't was, like premium cable. Yeah. It was, it was, it was kind of in the, in just no man's land, <laughs> but yeah. And it was just a, you know, it was just a plot. If it was on NBC, that's it's entirely possible they'd make the whole advertising campaign that just to build some some publicity. But yeah, it's it's just a good storyline of something that you didn't see on TV much. And also, you know, if we're saying Odessa in the two thousands was the eighties, this is like nineteen eighties Texas okay. culture in, in twenty ten trying to handle this. And she obviously gets fired from her job, but I do think like her deciding like, well, then let me head up uh the counseling in East Dillon is a little neat and kind of turns into the underbaked uh, season five storyline of her taking in uh, a girl named Epic. They, I like season five a lot. There's, they're trying to put so many things in it though. Right. Yeah. Cause it's a short season, right? Is it like 12 yeah. episodes? Yeah. I think 13, but yes. Yeah. I mean, it's there's cause you have, you have everything we've already said. You have Vince's dad. Uh, you have, uh, Gray, the wide receiver who you never learn anything about, but is technically in the main cast of season five. Uh, you get to hear a lot more from Tinker, which was a blast. I loved yes. Tinker, Tinker, the offensive lineman who was just a nice, a nice boy who liked having fun with his friends. Yeah, that that was something I really liked about um, 
I felt like that group of characters felt more like uh, a a team, like a group that actually hangs out. They have a lot of fun together, uh, which I enjoyed watching. Yeah, because with the with the main core cast of the first few seasons, that's the whole thing. Matt Saracen doesn't really know these guys. He's he's a complete fish out of water. Street and Riggins were were the friends. Uh, Oh, the of course the the not as good or maybe. You could argue it's good. Part of season five is uh, Julie deciding to sleep with her married uh, teacher's oh, assistant. God. That that was one of the storylines, I think, where one of the rare storylines where you're like, oh, yeah, this is a teen drama. Like, they're mm-hmm. going to do some of the classic dumb teen drama stuff. Yeah. Julie Taylor is kind of maybe the most controversial element of the show. People do not like Julie Taylor. And I do have to agree mostly because I believe Matt Saracen deserves all the happiness in the world and she's not equipped to give it to him. Yeah. But I, I think it's really interesting that coach and Tammy, two very good parents were very good at talking and communicating and kind of set like resolving conflict and just loving the hell out of each other created such an absolute (laughs) nightmare of a daughter. Yeah. Um, You know, I really like the, the Landry Tyra relationship because I feel like it captures this very real high school thing where like the only thing holding them together is that she's pretty and he's nice. Um, And that can be like very painfully real to watch. And I think what is uncomfortable about Saracen and Julie is that I feel like they're very similar, but it's treated as like a good relationship that is based on love. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit that, that they're, you know, spoiler together at the end a bit of a disservice to what i think was a honestly good moment for juliet season four where she's like you know i need to find my my own chicago she needs to make something of herself and then immediately you know fucks her ta crashes her car to try and kill herself and then just ends up with matt it's that stuff's i really loved season five in the moment i haven't watched a ton of it since but there's a lot of elements that are uh quite a mess yeah yeah i totally agree i'm very rarely ever rooting for characters who met in high school to end up together. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would have to, I would have to agree with that, especially because, you know, Matt Saracen was like a very multi-layered person. And you you even get that from Jason street in that weird corny Texas way where he's like, you know, that's Saracen, you know, he's interested. (laughs) He draws, listens to Dylan. It's like, those are the two weirdest things you could do (laughs) as a, as a high school football player is in 2006 is you could be an artist and you could listen to anything besides Paul wall. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, um, I meant to say when we're talking about the Tammy and coach relationship, um, I think what is so cool and good about that relationship is they are these really nice people who really love and respect each other. And they're just like immersed in like the worst culture imaginable so you get all these things like um the episode where coach gives her very little notice that she has to organize like a whole barbecue because it's just like what coaches wives do um and i found that juxtaposition of being entrenched in like coach's wife culture uh with her being such a strong person who is so respected by her husband be really interesting how they navigate it yeah, it's it's the real victory of Connie Britton being like, you need to give me an actual good fucking character if you're going to have me on your show is, you know, what happens when an actual strong-willed, career-focused mom is the coach's wife and has to deal with all this, like, 
weird stuff. And we don't actually know if Gary Gaines's wife wasn't that because we really only hear her say like, good golly, gosh, it's hard to be the coach's <laughs> wife in this town. That's really all you ever hear is that she's just stressed out about being the coach's wife. Right. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of that with, uh, with all the characters to some extent, even like, like Lila Garrity, I don't think it's very, is super interesting or complex, but you do definitely see how part of her likes this, you know, cheerleader with a popular boyfriend life. And then part of her is like, Oh, but it also sucks. Yeah. That there's a lot of, stuff that I felt like was a little weird in season one, but makes a lot of sense if you think about it and watch it again, which is that, you know, you are immersed in this football culture. You are the good old boy quarterback who's going to make it and play for the Cowboys. You're the cheerleader girlfriend. You both have like wonderful families, want like big homes. Everything's going to go fine. And then it's all over in the most like insanely painful, crushing way it could be. And now you just have to keep living your life. Yeah. Like, of course, of course, she's going to like start going insane and cheating on him with Tim Riggins. Of course, Jason Street's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to swim to Mexico and get some, you know, weird pills to make me walk again. Everything right. fell apart yeah. in one second. They're in a situation where there really is no rational response to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if anything, the, these weird reactions are, are the rational yeah. responses. The fact that, you know. That that hit Jason Street's parents are like, well, we're never getting that big, you know, Dallas Cowboys paycheck, and we have to take care of our disabled kids, so uh, we hate each other now, and we're right. getting a divorce. It's it's brutal. Yeah. On um, the the sort of culture that uh, Lila represents that we see in the book, um, I uh, I found that stuff really compelling when it's talking about uh, in the. I think in the show they change it to cheerleaders to make it less insane. But in the yes. book, there's like just girls who exist to just like bake the football players things and give them presents and stuff. Yeah. It uh, a truly, I think it was only just you now saying that kind of making it in my mind, like those weren't cheerleaders, the pepettes. <laughs> those were just like other girls in high school who now have to bake things for them, probably do their homework put out signs to like show with pride. I'm basically owned. Yeah. They, and they had, to, it talks about how they had to like put a spending limit on the signs because girls were making these like neon electric signs uh, yeah. for the guys lawn. That's the, again, like, what do you even do about this? Like the, the pepette system sounds insane. And they're like, they had to stop spending so much money because they love doing it too much. <laughs> Yeah, and it you kind of it gets a little bit called out in the show when Saracen becomes QB one and the cheerleader is like I'm like I'm your pet pet like I like this is what I do for you and Matt just kind of reacts very awkwardly because truly how do you even respond to like a cheerleader being like I'm basically your pet who cooks for you now? Yeah, I I think probably it's not as explored on the show um, because it is 2005 instead of an eighties period piece. And so it would have been um, even weirder than it is. Um, but I really, I really liked that part of the book and um, just kind of found it horrifying and weird. Cause like I was a cheerleader in high school and it was like the exact opposite. Like, we didn't pay attention to the games, even though we were there. I don't think I could tell you the name of anyone who was on the football team. Um, and we would talk about how, like, 
if there was like a dance competition team at the school, we definitely would have joined that instead. Yeah. It it is weird to hear on it. Like my girlfriend was a cheerleader and she like all she says is that what they gave a shit about was the cheer, like was the routine, like the bring it on type stuff. If you're not in in this absurd football culture, then this is all nonsense to you. So it is very weird to to see and read about people who not only don't question it, but like treasure it as part yeah. of their existence. Yeah. And I think the the conclusions about it in the book are like a little lacking. I mean, obviously it's not his job to like solve this. He's just reporting stuff, but there the stuff about the Pepets ends on this very weird note where he's like, that that attitude can be found throughout the school. And it quotes a teacher who says there's not a lot of girls in STEM, which I found to very much not be the issue. Like you can you can study like liberal arts and not be owned by a football player. Yeah. And you definitely could have had just like a pet pet who liked engineering. Like these yeah. are not these are not in conflict. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It it just felt like such a weird, I guess, culture shock to have loved the show so much, loved the characters, been really rooting to see where they all go in their lives toward the end of the run, and then just just not feeling that with the book, which isn't even an insult to the to the book. It's just kind of the nature of of this school and this culture. Just this they talk a lot about how they're not the rich school in the area and how that kind of is their whole, like they're always mad at the rich school and yet they are the ones like kind of tossing around like they're poor kids. Like it's nothing. Yeah. The, the dynamics in the city were pretty fascinating and I felt like they didn't like fully explain it very well. Um, at least uh, I thought like they, they sound so dominating and like so unstoppable a lot of the time and then you read about this other school um calver uh carter carter yeah um and like carter has kids actually going to like good colleges on like football scholarships and um it became like a total contrast to the panthers even though so much of the panthers sounds like like a really like unstoppable force um, and also they, the book doesn't really mention the, the like Latino school until like halfway through. And I was suddenly like completely reimagining what this town was like, you know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of freaky to think about that. It's all based around just doing well at high school football. And then that's it. Cause like it's mentioned a couple times that for Carter, the star player was Jesse Armstead, who pl- 100% played in the NFL, who got drafted. And you rarely hear about anyone from, like, certainly no one from that they're talking about in the book. Like, only Ivory Christian got a scholarship to TCU. And, you know, by his second year, he was a third stringer, I think they said. Like, yeah. it's a town built on, you have to do this for us. Yeah, like, most of the people... um when it catches up with sort of like adults who used to play in the Panthers, I remember there was like someone who was like, yeah, it's made my dentist practice like a little more popular because people know I used to be a Panther. Like that's the most you can get from it. Yeah. And that's probably still true for, for these towns that, you know, you're not going to make it to college. You're not going to make it to the NFL. You're probably going to 
you know, have brain damage and like a lot of physical things that are going to haunt you forever. So you better hope you did well enough that one of the boosters lets you sell cars for them. Right. Yeah. And they, they sort of talk about this thing about the team that they're sort of not the best players. It sounds like, but it's all about like the team dynamic and like doing so well as a collective that you can win games. Yeah, I guess the implication is supposed to be that it's like they're just, you know, coached so well. It's such a well-run yeah. program because constantly they're like talking about just Buzz Bister will talk about how like fast and dominating a guy is. And then he'll just be like, you know, at five foot four and 92 pounds, he was not <laughs> yes. an imposing presence. That was such a funny through line in this book that like it's always talking about how physically small the players are, which I just found so weird because I was like – how does Carter having how does Carter being in a rich neighborhood help them find larger boys? Like I just yeah. don't understand. Yeah, it's it's bizarre because they keep being like, you know, he was I mean, cornerbacks can be five, ten, five, eleven, that's totally fine. But they'll be like, you know, they were 110 pounds. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I guess you are being coached well because Jesse Armstead's about to like literally not another teen movie you. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird to have not hated a book but found it a slog. Was that too was that like mostly just because of the material being depressing or like that it was outdated or um a little bit of everything i think it's you know not unintentionally it portrays this incredibly bleak desolate town that you know only has high school football and has a lot of people that are fully aware of that and telling you yeah we only you know we really only exist to watch college foot uh, high school football and Again, I feel like it's a necessary flip side where you really do see how ugly this stuff actually is. Because I don't think it's bad that the show can put such like a a bit more of a glossy sheen on it and have you rooting for these characters to both get out of this town and win state. Right, yeah. Also, I mean, I will say the show didn't exactly like nail race dynamics in this town. One thing I I found um, especially sort of disappointing was... uh, in the book, once it got to the Latino high school and like talking about um, Latino characters, I was like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense because like it's Texas, obviously. And I don't think the Friday Night Lights show really has that element at all, does it? Not. I would basically no. I think there's like one character early on whose last name is Chavez who like helps them kind of like go try and beat the shit out of someone's car. And that's about the extent of that. I mean, season one has some weird stuff like that, you know, that the way they don't like voodoo Tatum, the way they write voodoo Tatum, uh, the way it actually kind of does bring in the subplot of one of the assistant coaches, basically, you know, comparing black players to animals, but meaning it positively. Yeah. And I, I think they did capture a tiny bit of the thing with coach Gaines, uh, favoring Winchell over Chavez in the plot where um was that Voodoo Tatum where yeah uh, yeah um because there is this like unpleasant element where he's sort of like oh he's a great player but I just like Saracen's character more that I found like kind of hard to watch yeah they, they have to do a lot of kind of doctoring in the script of like where suddenly Voodoo has to play bad and then be a baby about it so that Saracen can get in there and meanwhile you know we know Saracen can be a good quarterback with, with coaching. Like we've seen that also the way he doesn't necessarily solve the assistant coach scandal thing. It's 
you know, they kind of try and wrap it up with like, look, we may not agree on everything, but we do need to win state. Well, do you, do you want to uh, get into the rating or do you, did you have any other big stuff you wanted to hit on? Um, not big stuff. No. What, what is the rating system we will be using? Uh, let's just do a classic uh, one to five stars for, for each of these. Okay. Um, I will give uh, Friday Night Lights the book. Um, let's go two and a half stars. I think there's a lot of compelling elements, um, but I do think it can get mired in certain other things like Buzz Bissinger kind of falling in love with the town despite himself. Uh, I think I think that kind of waters down a lot of a lot of the stuff, but not a book I don't recommend. I think, I think, you know, it's as, as a case study for this insane culture in town, it is very interesting. And then Friday Lights, the TV show, uh, I'm going to go four and a half. I, it, it triggers the exact part of me. That's a giant sap, which mm-hmm. is watching, which is like watching tense football moments set to moody, angsty explosions in the sky type sounds. And I think all the performances are great. It's shot well. It's, I don't know, I, it's, not the, it's not the perfect show I used to think it was, but I think it's still a, a fantastic show that I'd recommend to anyone. Um, I think for me, I'm going to give the book four stars. I totally understand all of your complaints. And it might have just been that I, um, you know, was had so much less exposure to and knowledge of football uh, going into this than you did where um, it was all just like really interesting to me and did sort of, it, it left me being like, we have to abolish this and just stop doing this to kids. But like, I liked that feeling. I was just like, wow, I have been taken on this journey through this completely horrifying culture. Yeah. It's, it's not a wrong feeling to have, I, I wish the I almost wish the book was a little more pro that side, yeah. if anything. Um, and then I totally agree with you. Uh, the show I'm going to give four and a half stars. Um, it is like you said, it's like not a perfect show, but I think it uh, ultimately works so well. You just care about all these characters and feel like they're your kids. And I feel like, especially in this age where people are getting so much more into like eight episode miniseries is I'm like, I like that. It's not perfect. Like having a plot where Landry shot a guy is just classic TV stuff. I love that. It's a, just a real show bumbling through years and years of material. Yeah. I think, I think the show is a great antithesis to people whose thing is only wanting lore in shows mm-hmm. and only things that kind of advancing plots. And there's some of that in the show, but fucking, I like the characters. I like hanging out with Landry while he's trying to like play a crucifixorious song. I like, I like watching Tim Riggins be just a layabout drunk. I like, I like knowing these, these people and hanging out with them. And I think the show, I think understands that that's why you're watching. Yeah. It was such an, especially at the time, it was such an antithesis to prestige TV and uh, Kyle Chandler beating John Hamm at the Emmys was like the greatest thing imaginable. Yeah. For what is, I, I mean, I, I don't I haven't seen that much Mad Men. I, I will admit that, but I mean Kyle Chandler f- knocks it out of the park every time, just in a very understated way. Which I distinctly remember that Emmy ceremony. You could even see it in those like those like clip packages they were showing because you have you know Michael C. Hall kind of like be, like killing someone. You have John Hamm screaming, and then you just have Kyle Chandler just kind of like standing there forlorn, like 
my daughter slept with another woman's husband. <laughs> um, all right. So at the end, I like to do a recommendation. Um, since we both liked the show better, we'll recommend you a book. Uh, I found this pretty hard to try and think of a like relevant recommendation because um, I just couldn't think of books that make me feel the way that Friday Night Lights makes me feel. Um, so I'm going to do a pretty tenuous connection and recommend Holds because it's also about a teenager in Texas. Uh, well, you know me, I'll never turn down a recommend, a recommendation of Holes. Uh, you you texted me yesterday that I was going to have to recommend a book. Yeah, I'm Not sorry, even, I didn't give more notice. Well, I was going to say, it wasn't even to like let me think of one as much as to mentally prepare myself for that <laughs> notion. No, um, I think if you're looking for sports books, I haven't read it in years, but as a diehard Mets fan, I as a teenager, I loved The Bad Guys One by Jeff Perlman, which was a, a chronicling of the 1986 Mets who, you know, won 108 games in the world series, but were just an absolute chaotic shit show who could not stop doing drugs. Nice. That, yeah, that sounds cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me uh, and having so many thoughts on Friday night lights. Uh, what would you like to plug? Uh, well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about this show. My friend, my friends do not like when I talk about it because <laughs> it's just that classic, like it's not about football. Um, I would like to plug my podcast in the mix. Me and my friend Dave uh, talk about music. We make playlists, uh, kind of trying to do some bigger themes and kind of wading into music that we know nothing about, which has been a lot of fun. We're both now parrot heads and jungalos. So I highly yeah. recommend getting into that kind of stuff. Um, uh, speaking of books, if you like comedy, I am in the book, The Hard Times, the first 40 years, uh, the book, The Hard Times website had. So I have one in, I have an article in there. It's a good book. Yeah. A lot of talented writers on there. And I would like to plug, um, give Zach Guilford a show. He was really good in Friday Night Lights. And yeah. no, no one gave him a chance. He was the best actor on that show. That's so true. All right, guys. Uh, you can follow uh, Chapter Surfing Pod on Twitter. You can find it on Patreon by searching Lenny Burnham to get episodes early. Uh, I'll, I'll catch you next month. Do you want to learn falsehoods? Do you want to learn the not-truths? Do you want to go to hell? Join Eric McAdams, Alea Plotney, and Liam Sr. as they go to hell. We Are Experts <laughs> is a podcast on the Major Cast Network. Each episode, we take a topic we know nothing about and speculate wildly till our hearts content. And then they sort of learn a little bit about the real topic at the end. But not too much. Just a little. Tune into We Are Experts. Wherever you get podcasts, whenever we feel like posting it. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major. <laughs>